BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Hi guys, welcome to Staying Home with Wit. Ugh, I love this guest so much. My guest today is Dr. Aliza Pressman. I've had her before and she is just the most calming voice of reason ever. I left the conversation feeling enlightened, feeling more confident, and feeling like I had a plan, something that really makes me feel calm, makes me feel like I have action items that I can work on and present to my family and actually feel a little bit more in control, especially in a time when there is such a lack of control in our lives. But Dr. Eliza Pressman is back to help us parents through these stressors and to really get into the nitty gritty of why we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. She's a mother of two. She's a developmental psychologist, a parent educator, an assistant clinical professor, and co-founder of both Mount Sinai Parenting Center and the Seedlings Group. She is also the host of the amazing podcast, Raising Good Humans. Parenting in general is hard work, right? That's so much of what we talk about here. It's complicated and it's hard and it's wonderful and it's confusing and it's everything. Parenting now is a whole other story. It's all of those emotions to the extreme times a million, and it is really hard for us to grasp. I sincerely hope that Dr. Pressman can help you all breathe a little sigh of relief. All right. Let's get started. I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is just like, you know, with your seedlings group and with your practice and talking to so many moms and dads out there, like what are some of the biggest issues you feel like everyone's facing? There's so many issues right now. I think top of mind for everyone is some kind of balance between what am I doing stuck inside in the summer or Mm -hmm. sort of relatively locked up more than expected because a lot of camps and programs were closed. And how do I navigate these easing up on some of the restrictions? Because we've been kind of keeping to ourselves and now there's like this going out mode. So it's kind of this weird mix of dreading that summer is here and also a little bit of a nervousness of like, what are we supposed to be doing? And then I've been also noticing some really positive things like clients that are like, I'm kind of, it's one of those terrible things that you feel guilty saying because there's horrible stuff going on in the world. But those moments of, you know what, this was really important for my family. And Mm -hmm. there were some benefits that I don't want to really say out loud or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then the guilt, like the, the, the parent guilt of I'm not doing enough or. Yeah my kids on the screen too much. (laughs) Well, those are, I mean, all feelings I definitely have. I feel like so many of those things, like I feel guilt about the screen time. That's definitely one thing that I wanted to talk to you. However, I've also had so much more time with Sunny now than I did before. I mean, I'm seeing things 
that I feel so lucky that I've been able to see in developmental milestones and just like I've seen the world through his eyes more because I've had the time and patience and wherewithal to actually pay attention to how Mm -hmm. he's seeing the world. And so it's made me have more of an appreciation for the world, like Mm -hmm. especially now with nature, like I'm, we're going outside for walks so much and we actually have the time to go on walks. And I'm just like, oh my God, has spring always been this beautiful? Yes. yes. (laughs) And so those are obviously the good things, but for sure, the balance is is an issue right now. And for Timmy and I, we have to turn the TV on a lot when the two of us have to do something because that's literally the only babysitter that there right. is. So what are you saying to people about TV time? Like we've been watching Wild Kratts, which is on PBS, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a really good show. Like at least he's learning yeah. something about nature and everything. But yeah, I mean, he's watching like at least two hours a day. I'm just going to be totally (laughs) honest with you on that. (laughs) Two hours a day. First of all, even the American Academy of Pediatrics says limit screen time to up to two hours a day. So you have to imagine that you're operating at, this is all totally fine, not in a pandemic, if you're just at two hours a day. And then once you cross the two hour mark, which plenty of parents have to, because as you said, it's their only babysitter, or it's the only time that they can deal with their own self-care to manage being a good and present parent, you know, at the other hours of the day, whatever it is, those are the extra hours. So I would say the first two hours of quality, as you mentioned, you talked about a quality show. So picking quality shows is a good thing. Yeah. If you have longer than that, you just want to make sure that there are adequate breaks for physical activity and that, you know, when you can have one-on-one interactions that you recognize it's a babysitter, it's not a replacement. As long as you know that and the characters are characters they attach to because, you know, if you have an attachment to the Paw Patrol characters, you're excited to see them. There is some benefit to it for a preschooler. It's certainly not ever going to be the same as interaction that you have with your parent. But again, the first two hours free. And then after that, you just want to make sure that you're doing it for the purposes of, okay, I need this right now versus I think it's benefiting my kid. Because once you pass that two hour mark, you just want to be realistic about it. And then again, breaks, not during mealtime, not during outdoor time. And as you said, like walking outside, just observing the beautiful things that happen in the spring. Yeah. It is so wondrous to even adults if you really force yourself to look at it. So imagine for kids, if you have screens available at those times, it sort of ruins those perfect moments. Yeah. You know, like normally you walk, you rush to get places and you don't experience what the kids could experience, which is that journey to the music class is actually the real learning opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have actually, I'm pretty proud of us. I'm going to feel shine right now. Shine is something that this doctor Ah. BJ Fogg taught me about. And it's like this word, when you feel proud of yourself, he doesn't really like the word proud. So he's like, you just feel shine when you feel something good about yourself. But yeah, we took away the phone on car rides and the phone outside or the iPad, unless he's doing some ABC mouse, like an activity that we do when I just feel like I don't want him to, I don't have the time to like be super involved with him, but at least I feel like he's learning something. Right. But yeah, so I feel good about the TV, but I think that is important. It's important past the two hours to know am I doing this because it's a babysitter because I actually really, really, really need it? Or am I just kind of being lazy about it? Right. Which is also totally fine as long as you're intentional. It's not just like, meh, it's a pandemic because it's lasting a long time and you just want to be intentional. Then it's fine because there is good stuff. The other thing I, I meant to say is, you talked about that shine. When they do watch the screen, it's better not to carry it with them. It's better that it's a separate apparatus like a TV. Right. Where they, where they're not like becoming so attached to it that taking it away is like a big tantrum experience. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. So we were doing a little bit of TV during mealtime, but now I'm really going to stop because it didn't feel right, but it was just out of laziness. I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> but what do I do because... 
we'll cook dinner. We'll make this amazing dinner. We're ready to eat it. Everything's set up. And then Sonny doesn't want to sit down to dinner. Mm-hmm. Like even if he's hungry, he just wants to, he'll run outside or he doesn't want to sit with us. Is that something we just let him do? And we don't really have the patience. We're like, we just cooked this whole dinner. We really want to sit down and eat it. And I don't really want to battle right now and like force him to sit down and eat it. So we just right. kind of like let him roam around. But then he wants a snack before bedtime. So like, I know a lot of people also are having this issue with mealtime. How do we get them to actually sit down and eat? It's really hard to get anybody that age to sit down and eat. So the great thing that you're doing is you guys are sitting down and eating because that's unusual too, to be able to sit down at meals with your kid for all those. I mean, when, when you're working, do you get that much quality mealtime together? Yeah. So I would say it, sit there anyway, invite him to sit there, put his place out. If he needs to take a break every five minutes and, you know, shake his, I mean, I would even start with, did you, that looked so weird. You did a um, little shimmy, which is my husband's like pet peeve dance move. He's like, Whitney, if we're on the dance floor, you are never allowed to use your that. shoulders. No shimmy. <laughs> So if he wants to do a shimmy and like, it's like, okay, it's mealtime. So let's shake all those sillies out or wiggles out or whatever. Give him a moment to do 10 jumping jacks or shimmies or whatever. And then sit at the meal, have a couple of bites and then he can go off and you guys continue eating. It's more appealing. I mean, as long as he's safe, right? Like you might not go outside with him. You might say, you know, I'm eating right now. So you are welcome to sit and join us. We'd love it. But if you don't feel, you know, if you want to run around, that's okay too, but you got to do it here so we can see you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. There are two schools of thought on this. I mean, you want mealtime to be pleasant and fun. You don't want to make it a battle. So it's, it's just not worth it, but you might want to put that food aside so that if he is hungry later, he has the mealtime food. So he's not sort of just trying to have that snack. Okay. Sometimes there's a difference between snack food and dinner food, even though it's all the same thing. Just give him the nutrients when he needs it and you're good. Yeah. Well, the thing is the dinner food is more, is healthier and more nutritious. So if he knows that like maybe a pretzel or chip or chocolate or whatever kind of snack is coming later, then obviously he's not going to sit at the table with us for dinner. Yeah. So I have to work on that because then I also use it. I've kind of like let rewards and me not doing them go out the window because since quarantine, I'm just like, oh my God, I'll do whatever to get you to do what I want (laughs) to do. But the, the snack thing has become that. It's like now once he gets out of the bath, he needs a snack in order for me to put on his pajamas. You know, it's like always something. Yeah. I mean, go easy on yourself. Yeah, right. (laughs) It just feels like he's always kind of like stalling for time. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that the timer thing works. How do you Mm -hmm. feel about the timer thing? I think if you get a timer, especially those sand timers with colors that show them time. Ooh, okay. There's also one that shows with every minute that goes by, it turns red so that by the time, let's say 15 minutes have gone by, there's a whole quarter, you know, of red. Yeah. So what you want to do is any timer, you use a visual timer so that you can say, okay, when the sand goes down to the bottom or whatever, but even if you're using a kitchen timer and you say, we have until this rings, that's totally fine. It helps them understand kind of what the boundaries are. Right. Okay. That helps. Yeah. I think a visual thing will definitely help him. But the timer, yeah, the timer, the more we've done it, the better he's gotten about it. At first, he wasn't listening to it. And now he'll listen to it a little bit. And my other issue, these are all like little small issues right now. And then we'll get into kind of larger ones. Another small issue is the bottle situation. So he will be three in July. And I'm pretty sure if we went to his last pediatrician checkup, she would have told me that he should not be having a bottle anymore. (laughs) But it has become a tradition before nap time and before Mm -hmm. bedtime. And I'm just so nervous to take it away because I just don't want to shake things up. But do you have any tips on how we can like not cut it off completely, but slowly bring it back? First of all, you kind of, it's annoying because you have to brush their teeth afterwards and that all the little things that kind of are annoying about being older and still using a bottle, you you don't really need the milk at that time. Yeah. So it feels like they're going to need it or they won't, you know, be able to sleep, but they're old enough that they really just have the milk with whatever meal they're having or as right. a snack. And it doesn't need to be associated with that. 
but maybe you start with just carve out extra other sources of comfort to prepare for nap and bedtime. Yeah. Like in a way, this is a great time because you're home more. Mm -hmm. So you're not worried that he's not getting the comfort that he needs. He's got ample comfort. (laughs) He's like bathing in comfort and love right now. So it's kind of a great time to take away a security thing like that because you are there. You're not going to be saying like, I'm giving you this bottle and then I'm going to work or whatever. Right. So that that's going to happen, but it's mm-hmm. not happening right now. So it's a good couple of weeks to transition. Okay. And, and then I would say, unfortunately, like you just offer him a straw cup, okay. which he will promptly probably throw down and, you know, and just protest. Yes. And then you can say, I, I understand. And that's where you do the same thing you do for anything they're upset about. Name what they're feeling. You're mad. You really want your bottle or you're yeah. sad. You really miss your bottle. We can't have the bottle anymore because it messes with your, I mean, he's old enough that you could say it messes with your palate or your jaw or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you feel like saying that you would have mm-hmm. The dentist would have said. Can I tell him that the milk is going to rot his teeth? I mean, we're brushing his teeth too, but (laughs) like, can I tell him it's not good for his teeth? Yeah, you can say you're getting older and you're getting lots of teeth. And so, you know, it's not good to have before you sleep because, you know, you can absolutely say that. Then you have to set your boundary though, because basically you're saying, here's why it's time for us to get rid of this. And also, I know it's really hard. So I'm going to give you one of my shirts and I'm going to sit with you a little bit longer. We're going to get to read one extra book. Okay. You know, and you might not want to drink your milk. You might not want to have your drink at all. It's not as comforting anymore. I totally get it. But you're not fixing it. Right. Yeah. It's so important. Like how explaining to them their feelings is so important because they can't explain it and they just want to be heard. Right. So by you saying how they're feeling, that's your way of validating their feelings without them having to say it. That's right. It's exactly right. When you teach a kid how to name what's going on for them, they're later much more likely to help, like have healthy social emotional health and be better self-regulated. Right. Right. And now a word from our brand partner. You guys know I've been talking about Tamara Mellon for a while now because her shoes are just so less worthy and so comfortable. Right now, I feel like all I want to do is put on a pair of jeans or jean shorts and wear a cute sandal, a cute comfy sandal, just so I can feel like slightly put together. Anyways, you guys should check out Tamara Mellon. She has amazing sandals and so much more. Really cute mules, really cute little kitten heels, some strappy ones. There's actually this one called the Valley. It's like a black snakeskin strappy kitten heel situation that's really, really cute. You guys should check her out. She is actually the iconic designer who created Jimmy Choo, in case you didn't know. And she left Jimmy Choo and then she launched this new namesake brand and they're so cute. And I feel like they're just a gem that people don't really know about. But the shoes are made in Italy, so they're handcrafted from the best materials and produced in the same factories that make all your other luxury shoes. My listeners will receive $100 off any pair of her shoes. Check her out, you guys. Like I said, her stuff is on sale right now, so a good time to make some investments on quality shoes that are just cute and comfy Go to tamaramelon.com and use the code WITHWIT to get $100 off any pair of her shoes. That's tamaramelon, T-A-M-A-R-A-M-E-L-L-O-N.com and use the promo code WITHWIT for $100 off. Go check them out, you guys. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And now back to our conversation. 
So, I mean, that brings me to tantrums because two and a half is like prime time tantrum phase. And Timmy and I have sort of adopted this idea where at first I would ask him a million questions. Like, can I get, when he would start to have a tantrum, like, can I get you some water? Like, do you want a snack? You know, trying to help him work through it. And then obviously the answer was always no. And he would get more upset. And so now we really just try to like leave him and walk away. But what are some of the things that we can say besides just like, we understand you're upset right now we're going to give you some space to have these feelings or like, I mean, tantrums in general, like what are your major tips for those? Okay. Major tips for tantrum. My first tip is the minute a tantrum is happening, if you can't bypass it through what you're talking about is this funny time where as you emerge into three, like it's not so easy to just redirect them. Like right. they're, no. they're like, no, this is what I want. <laughs> yes. And so like, and, uh, 24 month old, you can still kind of inch away towards looking at something else. Can't do that when they're almost three. So when a tantrum is starting, the first thing you do before you address your child Mm -hmm. is address your own like system. How's your stress response going? So an easy way to do that is to just make a habit for yourself that when you see your child about to spin out, you take a deep breath in and count to four and then breath out count to four, because what you're doing, it's very scientific. You're setting your, your autonomic system, your heart rate, like everything you're setting it back to a place that is going to help calm your kid Mm -hmm. instead of letting it have the stress response. A stress response is that normal response we have as a human when we feel threatened. And when your kid is about to have a nervous breakdown, you start to feel threatened. So you almost say something to yourself, like I'm not being chased by a bear like a reminder. Like I can handle this. I yeah. can do this if, because the the stress response is there in case you're being chased by a bear. Right. You're not. It's right. just a kid who's really upset. And so <laughs> if you can and take a pause and tell yourself that you've now done the quick breath, it takes, you know, eight seconds. Yeah. You've done it. So now your heart rate's lower, your pulse, like everything that sort of sends the energetic message to your kid that you're spazzing out is now at a, you know, a state of regulation. And then you tell yourself in your head, there's no bear, (laughs) just a quick, there's no bear chasing me. So, you know, you've got this and then your child can be right there in front of you, sort of really uncomfortable in their big feelings, Mm -hmm. but they feel you're not taking that as something to panic about. Okay. And then absolutely. If they can hear you, you can say, you're so mad right now. You can name their feelings. You can even say, you really wanted that, you know, knife, but knives hurt. So I can't give you the knife. Yeah. But if they're screaming, you can't, it's a terrible saying, but there's a saying, you can't teach a drowning child how to swim. So you're not going to teach a kid who's already tantruming how to take a deep breath right then, or like how to think happy thoughts. It's not going to work and it will probably make them more angry. So you're best off first managing to regulate your own system, which lets them co-regulate with you. That's when they essentially borrow your calm Mm -hmm. and they let it sit with them. And they might take a few minutes or 20 minutes or five minutes, depending on the kid. Right. But it's not getting fed. Their tantrum isn't getting fed by you or fueled by you. In fact, you're kind of, if you think of invisible calm energy, you're kind of lending that out to them so that when they are ready to receive it, which might take a little bit of time, they're no, they know that it's there. Yeah. And then you can wait it out. And when they start to feel calm, ideally you keep your body present and open so that if they happen to need a hug, you're there. But if yeah. they don't want a hug, you're not going to bug, you're not going to chase them. You're kind of just there being like a person who can handle the storm of it all. You just wait. And then as they're calm, you can name what happened and have a right. little quick chat. Once they stop seeing red, that's when you can... Yeah. S- sit and have a conversation about why they were upset and yeah through it. Yeah. But when it comes to Timmy and I handling it, like, should one parent really handle it? Or we both really have the same approach now, but I feel like sometimes even the 
two energies, even if they're calm, it's just like the two people's attention on him maybe fuels it a little. So should one of us kind of take the lead on dealing with it? Yeah. You could just, whoever feels like the, the feel calm vibe in that moment, the one one who's the least kind of set off by it Mm -hmm. can just stay present. And again, you don't have to say a thing. It's all part of like the work that you do with your own body, your own response. Right. And then you're just, you're there, but you're not like, oh my God, this is so terrible. Let's try to fix this. You're just like, you know what? Feelings come and feelings go. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those really big, awful feeling feelings. And I know this kid's going to be okay, but I'll be here in case he needs anything. That's basically what your brain is going to tell you. You right. don't have to wonder what's happening for him to fix it when it's okay. all over, then you, before you even would say like, so what do you think happened there? That really made you upset. You could say, oh, those were really big feelings, you know, yeah. and just yeah. no judgment, just, oh. And then you could even say, does that, do you feel better? Sometimes it just feels better to get it out. And, yeah. and then that's it. And then you could talk about it later even. Okay. Um, Okay. So, so it doesn't become like the whole family gathering around to really assess the situation. The situation, yeah. Because then that just makes him think about it all that more and make him think about his feelings and if they were wrong or yeah. judge his reactions in some obviously immature two-and-a-half-year-old way. But what about him saying no all the time? Like this is more of a discipline Discipline. thing. He says, yeah, like he says, he says no to everything or I don't want to, or, you know, whatever it is, even if it's just wanting to get him in the car, it's, I don't want to. And he always has like some sort of agenda for himself of what he wants to do. And I know we were talking about this a little earlier, but like, how can we redirect the no's in order to get them to do what we want? Right. So I guess two things. First is decide what your intention is. And right there, you said it. Look, sometimes you just want them to do what you want. You're not trying to build them into self-regulated people. You're not trying to teach a deeper lesson. You're like, I just need you to listen right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like, especially right now we have construction going on in the back of our house and there's a big hole in the deck. And it's a really unfortunate because like, that's where he runs around, but Mm. he cannot go over there. He can't, he, we've told him he can stay on the grass, but he just keeps testing the boundaries and won't listen to us. And that now we're at the point where he hasn't like gone in or nothing bad has happened, but it just gets exhausting to have to keep on setting boundaries. I mean, and that, that also goes into, and sorry, I know I'm being wordy, but just like always constantly saying no or watch out or don't do that because of quarantine. Like, don't touch this. Like, don't get too close yeah. to this. Like, you just constantly feel like you are taking away their fun. Like, uh, that's no. how I felt. So there's two layers to this. It's how do you just deal with like the general no attitude that two and a half year old, three year olds have? And then how do we also deal with like talking to them about what's going on right now and why we have to be such sticklers about stuff? Right. Okay. So the first part of it, I would do three things. First, Mm -hmm. whenever you can try to give a positive opposite. So before you say no, say what you want them to do. So if you don't want him to go past the screen door, then you say, remember, pause your body right when you get to the screen door, freeze. And so then when he freezes, you can say, ah, thank you. You froze right at the screen door and high five him or something. So you're doing kind of behavior modification where you just like, essentially you tell him what to do. You praise him for doing it. And that's where it's about changing behavior. It's not about conscious parenting. It's not about create, again, like this is a very subset discipline thing, which is like, I just need you to comply. And a lot of people hate that part of discipline because it feels like you're trying to make your kid be a particular way, but yeah. Like trick them. Like sometimes I I am trying to trick him. I'm like, oh my God, whoever can get to the car first. And then, and then sometimes I'm lying to him because I'm saying like, just come inside and follow me and play this game. And then we can play outside or something. And then he'll come inside and I'll close the door. And I've like lied to him and told him that we were, that he could do this. And then we were going to go back outside, but we never actually go back outside. Right. Cause it's like my way of getting him inside. I hear you. So I would say, I'd say practice 
when you do try to get him to do something in a playful way, which is what you're trying to do. Yeah. Just try to make it a promise you can follow through with. Like, if you can get inside by the time I count to five, then we get to read two books. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or whatever it is. And if you say it in a way that even if it was something you were going to do already, you're positively phrasing it, it's more likely you'd get a kid to listen. Okay. Or you can go the other route, which is the empathetic route of, I know you want to stay out here and play. And I know it's so fun to be outside. Right now, we have to go inside. Do you think we can get inside in 10 steps or 20 Mm -hmm. steps? You know, like, so first you step in with the compassion and, you know, it really depends on your mood and what kind of rush you're in. I don't, no, I, I I think a lot of people like to have philosophies like, well, I never would do this to my kid or that. I think it's we are never always in the same place as a parent. Mm-hmm. Like how much how much patience you have is gonna factor in. And so if you need your kid to do something and it's between that and you just flipping your lid, just do the thing that will get them moving forward. And if you have the energy to sit and say, Oh, I know you want to play outside, I want to play outside too too. And I love picking the flowers or listening to the blah, 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 whatever it is. And I, I don't like that we have to go inside, but we do, you know, let's go together. That's wonderful, but you can't always be like that. So sometimes you can do fun activities or games to get them inside, like count how many steps or, you know, make sure you run inside because we're going to get to blow bubbles when we go inside. Totally fine. Usually kids internalize rules. So now I'm jumping around too, but I want to get back to keeping him away from the hole in the backyard. Yeah. Or in the deck. If you can say to him, we have to make a sign. We have to make a big giant sign to put on the door where the deck is. Can you help me make this sign? And it has to say, I'm going to write the words, no exit or something. Okay. And that, you know, and that means we cannot go outside or you can do a positive one, which is eyes only. Okay. You know, whichever he'll respond to and then draw the picture and then put it up and say, now anybody who's here knows, even though of course nobody's here, except yeah. you guys. <laughs> Any- <laughs> so then you could say, nobody from inside can go outside there. We're going to keep them out. We're going to keep ourselves out and it's a good reminder. And then you can say, but we're going to make a whole construction over here and you can set up your own part of the floor and just do some kind of makeshift construction project with blocks and paper and whatever by the floor over there. But then he's participated by making a sign with a big red X that's like no exit. And so you could say to him, what do we do when we get to the sign? We freeze. And so it becomes something active because before, whenever, 20 minutes ago, when I said positive opposites, it's like whenever you want to stop your kid from doing something or say no to them, you tell them, what do you want them to do? Because every kid, whether it's throwing food on the floor and instead of saying no to the food on the floor, you're saying, yes, put your food in your mouth or on your plate. So whenever you tell a kid what to do or an adult, they're much more likely to do it than if you tell them what they can't do. So same thing to go back to how to give like rules to this weird kind of new way of living. Part of it is, well, there are two things there that are really important. One is to acknowledge how weird it is by just saying, you know, when you walk down the street, what are you thinking of all the people wearing masks? Because we want them to know that they're not crazy, (laughs) that something is quite different, but it doesn't have to be phrased like it's an urgent pandemic where everybody is potentially a hazard. So we're all keeping away from each other. You can phrase it for younger kids. For older kids, you have to give more information, but for younger kids, it's very much like, so I wonder what you're thinking. Do you think that that person is smiling under their mask? Or do you think they're making a funny face? Like try to get them thinking about what it means. And when you talk to each other, let's say you're both wearing masks, because it's really hard for even adults to read emotional cues and masks. Yeah. It's so awkward. My interactions (laughs) lately have been so uncomfortable and I want to just like take it off and be like, I'm smiling. Like everything's cool. It's not awkward. We're all good, but (laughs) no, I can't, I can't tell 
I'm a very big smiler when I pass people, but I definitely don't say anything. Like, yeah, it just doesn't occur to me to say hi there. I just right. smile. Right. Because that's and a, you that should be enough. Yes. But now you have to like lift your arm up and wave just to make sure that people know. And that's, it seems silly, but like, those are not habits that we've had for all these years. And so right. it's really them. So for little ones, just reminding them, like, I wonder what's going on and, and teaching them to think of it with curiosity instead of like fear or weirdness. Okay. And if you don't think they have any thoughts about it, think again. <laughs> okay. Because even though they seem fine, it's still really important with younger kids to say, huh, that's so strange. You know, before we used to see everybody's whole face, and right now we don't see their whole face. Their mouths and noses are covered. Right. Because just if you think about it, like whenever in life, like anytime somebody says to you, you know, oh my God, I was feeling fill in the blank. If it's the same feeling you were having, it gives you the calmest, happiest moment where you're like, oh my God. So at a minimum, I'm not, I'm not crazy. crazy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I know. And it's like, as adults, you don't want to define yourself based on other people's validations, but like, it is part of human nature just to know that you're not alone in something. Yes. It just brings us to, it makes us feel, I mean, that's why people who've gone through similar experiences, that's why mothers tend to connect with each other because there's this universal thing that we share. That's why jokes and memes and all that stuff resonate so much because we're all like, oh my God. Oh, yes. (laughs) Like you get me. Yeah. That's why, I mean, that's why your group is so amazing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, he started to miss his friends a little bit and I worry about the social interaction situation just because I'm sure there haven't really been studies on something like this because nothing has ever happened really like this before in this day and age. And I just wonder, as I'm sure a lot of your clients and moms do, like, how is this lack of socialization going to affect him? And how can I get it more? Like I scheduled a Zoom class, virtual yoga class with two of his friends from school. But that's a whole other thing is like him even paying attention to the screen is not something he's really even very good at, nor do I want to force him to be because I get it's not natural. But like, what do you, what do you say to moms and dads worried about like them, you know, not having any social interaction? I mean, it's definitely, you're totally right. We have no evidence and there's no, nobody who's done this study before, but there is resilience research on other natural disasters, wars, traumas in cities. Like there has been stuff. So we can look at that research to feel, to kind of put together what we think might be the case. Okay. And in general with kids in the younger, you know, those first few years, their primary purpose is to connect with their their people, their family unit, and to develop a sense of competency and autonomy in the everyday tasks of life, putting your socks on, you know, brushing your teeth being able to pee in a potty. Like it's very much about that and less about connecting with friends. Whereas with teens, their whole developmental task is to leave the nest and connect deeply with people that are not part of their family unit. So I'm actually much more, you know, I'm much more concerned for them. I'm less concerned for the little ones it's great if they're interested in a Zoom. I wouldn't do a whole class, but I might yeah. do, like put it on there, let them see each other wave and then move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. That's what our schools decided to do because they were doing Zoom classes every day. And Sunny, some of the kids would sit there. And of course, as a mom, you judge and you're like, oh totally. my God, what's, what's wrong with Sunny that he can't pay attention? And then I really think about it and I'm like, of course he can. Of course not. Like, why would I ever expect him to? So they've stopped doing that. And now they're going to do more actual work where we can pick up packets and activities and things to do. Cause I think they're real because they did a survey and it showed that most parents were saying the virtual situation for this age was kind of an issue. Yes. So to go back to what all of the people that I've talked to, every client has had that reaction that's in preschool of like, is something wrong with my kid? Because they don't, they want nothing to do with the Zoom classes. Yeah. Of course they don't. Here and there, you're going to get a kid who's riveted, but for the most part, it's not natural. It's not, and you have to do so much work on Zoom. Like it's not 
real time exactly. There's some right. stuff your brain has to figure out about, is it three-dimensional? Is it two-dimensional? Like what is happening here? So you can't touch, but it feels like you're together. It's very confusing. So mm-hmm. if you have a little bit of that interaction just to know people are out there and you walk outside and you wave to people, it's going to be enough. Yeah. It's really not as worrisome. I would say the thing that is, the, the tricky things that you learn in preschool this year are like the developmental... T- task of being able to wait your turn or lose at a game or, you know, some of that stuff, you're not getting as much with just life lessons like that. Yeah. You can almost do some of that at home, like play Candyland, like old school Candyland. Okay. He's, He's old enough. And all he has to do is, you know, you might have to help him along because it's kind of weird to start to learn to take turns and count, you know, but it's actually really good for him. And then if he loses, he learns like that that's something he can get through, he can experience. And that's something that parents typically don't do as much with their kids because they're like, oh, I'm just with my kid. I mean, am I really going to what kind of a monster am I? I'm going to beat a two-year-old. But, right, right. But in this case, I would say, you know what? He's got nobody else to help him experience some of that stuff. So go ahead yeah. and do it with him. Yeah. I mean, the time that we're spending with him right now is really just all playtime. So and nice. I get, ugh, that's good that you say that, but I get nervous that there's, it's just all playtime. It's like, swimming or going on a walk or lately we've been taking drives and he will walk around like different neighborhoods, but it's just all play. And like, I'm wondering what is the balance we should be doing of play versus things like even Candyland, which is still play, but he's developing. It's like a learning play. Exactly. Like I just, with him, I feel the same way. I feel like I'm lucky that he's this age because I, I am, and I'm sorry to say, I'm so glad he's two and a half and not 18. But I don't know how much work, in quotes, guys, I should be doing with him versus just play. Right. Well, the good thing is that play is his work okay. at this age. That is absolutely where he learns everything. And you could teach whatever he's interested in, he can learn something because you're interacting. So if you're just walking with him, but you just say to yourself, I'm consciously going to point out squares today when we're walking. Mm-hmm. So you don't bug him. Like you're not annoying about it, but you're just like, oh my God. Cause I can see driving people into being really annoying. <laughs> 100%. So just like sprinkle it in versus like, yes. yes. So you could go on a shapes walk and you just walk around and you don't have to say we're going on a shapes walk, but you can just start to notice the circles or the squares in nature. And that's all you did. Plus you played, plus he was just doing his thing. Like anything basically where you just sprinkle in what feels like learning, but it's still organic. It's still part of what he was doing anyway. Just like if he's playing in the bath, if you pick up water with a cup and pour the water out, you can say this cup is full of water. And now look, the water's going out and it's empty and you shake Mm -hmm. the cup. That doesn't feel like you're teaching something, but oh my God, if you just got on this planet, that's understanding. That's like full and empty is a major concept. So, you know, I'm climbing under the branch or I'm climbing over the branch. So there's a lot of stuff that happens during play and all you have to do to make sure that you're quote unquote teaching it is narrate what's happening. That's okay. it. Until okay. until you find that you're annoying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, that's the the bar is like your kid is like yeah I know it's I, all, I got, I got, it. I got it. yeah yeah right you have to do a little bit of reflection and be like oh my god if I were being asked this how would I feel right now right right <laughs> yeah. exactly so as yeah. long as it's playful and it's not like quiz like it's great and you can keep on doing that and frankly it's the best education they can get. Okay, good. And, you know, back to the the balance scenario, it's hard because sometimes I wish, and I feel like I talked to you a little bit about this before, but I wish someone could just prescribe me a day where it was just like, today you need like an hour of, of you time of, you know, you need, Sunny can have two hours of TV time, but then you need to be playing with him for one hour and, you know, working with him for another hour. Like you wish that you could have the schedule, but at the same time, you're so relieved that you don't because it is so nice to have this freedom. 
But like, I, I need some productivity tips. Right. Like I need some way to figure out how to not be so overwhelmed by the whole day. Yeah. And like organize it. I think what you just articulated is what toddlers would articulate if they could. Okay. Is give me some structure to my day. Okay. Give me, give me what to expect in my day. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So it's actually really helpful as a parent, as a person and for your kids to on, let's say Sunday, you may, you write out like a visual calendar. Look, it's not going to be by the minute and it's not even necessarily going to be by the hour, but roughly this is when breakfast is. This is when we're going to have unstructured playtime outside. This is so you're even structuring your unstructured play. Yes, it, yes. So so then you feel like check my kid did unstructured play and so if that gives you comfort if you know that you as a person like a list a task list and to get stuff done and that's who yeah. you are give yourself the gift of setting those tasks in a reasonable way throughout the week. Let's say Monday through Friday, this is our schedule. We have unstructured play, which is really important, and it's outside. We have unstructured playtime inside for 30 minutes with manipulatives, which means like blocks and anything that you would play with your hands, okay, Play-Doh or whatever. We have two hours of TV. Let me map it to when I'm going to get one workout in and one meeting done. Yeah. And see how the day looks for you. Okay. And really carve out like a summer that has structure with the flexibility of, I said unstructured play, that could mean swimming, that could mean running around, that could mean sitting on like a picnic blanket. It could mean that we're going for a hike, but it just is unstructured time. So if you can do that and you get physical gross motor activities, we all need the same thing. Kids need it and adults need it physical activity, some stuff that stimulates your brain, which can be a puzzle or a game or, I mean, it all stimulates your brain, especially, yeah. but if you, yeah. if, if it makes you feel better to think of it this way, we must read two books before bed and two yeah. books before nap. And, you know, mealtime is going to be seated for 10 minutes each time. Yeah. And otherwise we'll put the food away and we'll bring in that same food out later. Put that structure in your day for the summer it could, you can add to it 10 minutes of FaceTime with grandma. You can add to it anything that you need. Mm-hmm. But if you do it intentionally every Sunday, and look, it could look the same for the whole month. Yeah. You might like that. Some people don't like that because they're like, but things are changing. There's more, you know, a park might open Flexibility. up. Flexibility. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's whoever, whatever speaks to you mm-hmm. and helps you write in the parts of your day that have to get done for you to be fed. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I have, I didn't find in this structure how I was going to take a shower. Yeah. So I've decided to add 20 more minutes of television and that's that. Yeah. So I think if you can structure your day like that, then if there are blank spots where you're just like, huh. I mean, the truth is it's, it feels a lot longer when you don't structure it. If you structure it. And I you know go, you're right. Cause then you really look at these much. huge chunks of hours at a time. Ugh. Like you look at him from him waking up to him napping is 7 AM to 1 PM. And yeah. I don't even know how many hours that is six hours. And then there's the three to seven thirty. And then Timmy and I are always thinking about like, those are two, you know, major chunks of the day. But I think you're right. I think I am a list kind of person, but I don't do it. And that's what makes things a little bit more chaotic. But if I were to create kind of like a skeleton list, just a skeleton, just a skeleton, and then each day adjust it to my like personal needs and then professional needs and like needs for my husband, et cetera, then that's a good framework. And then you feel less stressed and then you won't be as, you'll feel like a calmer parent because you're like, yeah. I'm going to have two hours where I am checking out in a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Kind of just know, and then be able to, to figure out. And, and you can ask Timmy, like, maybe he's like, look from three till five, I always want it to be car time. I mean, I don't even know what car time means, but like, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to drive to a destination to be decided that day, or we might have a list of 20 places in Los Angeles that we've always felt were pretty to walk in. And we're just going to, 
pick something out of that hat and go every day at three o'clock for an adventure. But it yeah. still feel there's something about it that just feels like, okay, we did that. And that was right. an adventure. And you feel accomplished. Yes. And in the yes. car, you can listen to some good songs that you sing along with your baby. And you guys have this, like these memories that you're carving out. You could sing the same. You can always have memory making for each other and for him. If like every time you guys got in the car, you always played wide open spaces. I have no idea why that song just... I love that. I'm going to listen to this when we're done with that. I love that song so much. (laughs) (laughs) Wide open spaces. (laughs) So good. (laughs) So that's kind of... And then you get little rituals. And then when this whole pandemic is over and everybody moves on to a different but wonderful world... Yeah. You can pull the things that you got from this that felt like, oh, you know what? We it turns out love doing our drives. And so we're gonna make sure to do that. I don't know if a drive is the best of the bunch that I chose for California. No, but, but it has been. The drives actually for me have been amazing. And I was gonna ask you, like, how long is too long to stick them in a car seat for? Because we even were thinking about going on like a big road trip in an RV, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> But yeah, we've been doing a lot of that. Like we'll drive, we live in the valley and we'll drive out to Pasadena and it's like really flat and there's big sidewalks and we make that an activity. Like we never would have done that before ever. It's great. And you can explore different areas. And he, even if you did the same one, and this is the part that's fantastic about kids, less fun for us is that you could decide that you're going to Pasadena every day at three o'clock and he's going to go on the same walk and he'll still think it's exciting because it's just like, it's a, it's a routine. It's something that you do. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to let you go. I've talked your ear off, but this was wonderful as usual. I'm so happy to see you. Where can we find more information about you and your seedlings group and everything that you guys are up to right now? You can go to our website, www.seedlingsgroup.com or the Mount Sinai Parenting Center.org, which is the parenting center I co-founded, which is a nonprofit, but there's lots of resources there. And okay, good. you can follow me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast or at Seedlings Group. And we try to give some little tips and be there for for parents. Yeah, we need resources like you now more than ever. So thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.